0: Welcome to CII Podcasts.
1: So, Amit, I, it's a privilege for me to kind of be here and do the fireside chat with you. Uh, go deep, ask questions that other people haven't asked before. So, thank you so much for coming here today and being being available with your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. I think everyone knows Amit. Amit is the co-founder and CEO of NoBroker, uh, the real estate unicorn. I think the only one. So that kind of tells everyone how hard it is to build one, right? And that's why this chat is so special that we'll be able to get insights directly from the horse's mouth. I'm doing it because I've been associated with CII for some time. I co-chair the CII Unicorn Forum, trying to kind of help the existing Unicorns basically achieve their goals for the next couple of years. Also, like help more and more companies like cross this barrier, which is the vision and the mission of our uh, government and the Honorable Prime Minister. So I'm, I'm super happy to be here, Amit, and I think a good starting point would be like going back to your childhood. I think first, before we come to no Broker, everyone wants to know like you as a person, like beyond and what shaped you when you were growing up. So why don't you tell us about like where were you born, about your family, about your siblings, about like what were those years about that kind of made you make some other decisions and then eventually landed at no Broker? Just would love to kind of know a bit more there.
0: Sure. uh sure very privileged to be to discussing with you vidit <laughs> and i have personally seen misho's journey and the pivots and how it has become a force <laughs> in the entire country so so we anyway <laughs> uh, i think both of our firms go back 2014 and 15 so similar sort of number of years that we have spent so so very happy to be here and good that you are doing it uh, for the overall betterment of the society in the startup and entrepreneurship culture Thank you Um, so much. uh, So 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 starting with the initial day, so my father was a civil servant and hence uh, he used to, uh, uh, we used to basically live in a city for barely two years and he was posted in the uh, north in UP. So I had to change huge amount of schools. Uh, and I think generally, when you change a lot of schools, either you become very introvert <laughs> or you become very extrovert. And I think I tended towards becoming more extroverts. Uh, and my mother is a housewife, and my, uh, I have uh, we are we are two brothers, and my younger brother, uh, basically now works in a bank.
1: Very interesting. And it's it's very very interesting that you, for example, had to shift school so much, like move around because of your dad. Um, Tell us like what are the unique things, like I'm sure like you saw kids around you, you saw yourself and you saw saw other kids and I'm sure there must be a big difference and as you grew up you also saw that hey my bringing was very different and that's why you have certain beliefs like there is reason you started up and I'm sure a lot of people around you would not have. Can you share some stories from your childhood that
0: shaped you to eventually make, becoming an entrepreneur eventually? I think what basically happened is that because In a way, when you change schools every two years, then in a way you come into a very semi-hostile or let me say, uh, uh, unverified territory very soon, right? You basically come to a school and many a times uh, when I got into a school, it was mid of the session. So Mm -hmm. I needed to basically uh, learn whatever has been taught in the past six months in the course, etc. was pretty different in this school compared to the school (laughs) that I was in (laughs) and uh, uh, and so one one is that, that catch up had to be done and second was that for example, I remember that I was in a very small uh, city in UP called Hamirpur where they teach subjects in uh, of course in, in, in written English in Hindi. So they'll pick up uh. a science book and they'll of course it's understood thing that of course you will teach in Hindi. <laughs> Why will you teach in English? And then I got shifted to St. Mary's in, um, in Banaras where you have to only speak English even, even among <laughs> classmates and I did not use to speak at all because I didn't know how to speak in English uh, and I think in class sixth, I, uh, teachers thought that barely I would pass. I think I got 50 percentage in ICSC and there was a round of clap for me to get 50% it was such a bad situation joining in mid of the year uh, but slowly I think it what it helped is to land into a situation which is adverse make friends very quickly uh, and then basically climb up that wall of worry uh, I think that basically in the long term helped uh, not only to uh, build relationships when you start something with your colleagues, uh, with customers, but also uh, being subjected to emotional turmoil <laughs> and being comfortable with that rate of change. Uh, so perhaps uh, subconsciously, that is what uh, helped.
1: Fascinating.
0: No, no, I can totally
1: connect with this, by the way. Um, when I was growing up, by the way, I was the exact opposite. Like, I grew okay. in the same neighborhood, like from when I was like here, zero years old to like, 18 when I went to college it's the exact same place and I totally connect with you like I don't think I was ever grown up to be so adaptive to a new situation right and I think I've learned some of these late lessons much later in my life and then it was much more difficult and I'm sure like this is a big superpower you have which you have also kind of leveraged very well at No Broker so thank you so much for sharing this now just moving one step ahead right like after school you then eventually went to college I think you went to Kanpur I.T. Kanpur, and after that, so also kind of tell us about how were those years for you. I'm like I'm assuming those were the times when you started to get some hint that you want to become an entrepreneur eventually, maybe. Um, but like, what were those times for you? How did they shape you? What kind of beliefs did you develop which were not there earlier? Um, you're a civil servant's kid. I'm sure your parent maybe wanted you to be a civil servant again, but you're not today. So, like, give us some stories basically about that particular
0: part of your life. Sure, so I, I went to IIT Kanpur in year 1996, uh, and I know that you are also from IIT Delhi. Uh, yeah. So at least at that point of time, Kanpur was very famous. Now I think Kanpur ranks pretty below. <laughs> but in 1996, Kanpur was was pretty hot shot the way in which IIT Bombay is today. All and of I... my Kanpur friends feel bad about it by the way, so they keep telling me this. <laughs> Uh, and both of my co-founders are from IIT Bombay <laughs> so <laughs> a common joke as to which IIT is better <laughs> and I think the way in which you must have discovered it in IIT Delhi I think the same journey I went through in IIT Kanpur that so I was pretty good in studies before that I was among the top 20 people in entire UP board in my 10th <clears throat> and I was always first etc and then once you reach there you then it takes a few months to realize that you are nothing compared to the people who are already there. And they're so smart. And so that humbling experience <laughs> takes some time to settle in, which I think all of us go through. And you're amazed with the intellect and with the diversity which basically comes uh, in IITs. And I think that's the, the top thing. <coughs> uh, uh, and, and you guessed it right. So my, my parents wanted me to give IES and IES exam examination after that. But over the years, I think after coming to IIT, when you talk to your seniors, when you talk to the senior, at least senior batches, you come to know so much is happening in the world. And across the world, internet was booming. I remember in 1996, when I went to the computer science lab for the first time, I think I saw the computer, I touch the computer for the first time then. And I think the instructor asked us to start working and I couldn't because the screen was blank. I didn't know what to do I basically pressed some uh, some some keyboard but actually <laughs> you had to switch it down from the switch it on from the bottom <laughs> I didn't so it was that bad but uh, internet was basically fascinating and uh, as young kids then we quickly uh, latched up and so I think over over those 4 years given what is happening around the world and that was the start of the internet uh, in India and I think that the mind became very quickly attuned to the fact that I would not want to follow the civil servant route. And this is where the action is. And I should get a part of this action.
1: Very interesting. I think the first part that you're referring to, I, I, I by the way, myself call it the IIT depression, like everyone <laughs> who feels that they're the smartest people just come there in the first six months. They realize they're nothing. Yeah. Uh, it's a phase where people learn humility. I learned it myself where you have to make, you have to become okay with the fact that like you was thinking that you were the center of the universe. And when you go there and realize like, you may not be like the, even the one of <laughs> the top 5,000, you're just talking about one college, right? So I think it's a, it's a big lesson Correct. that I've learned. And I think a lot of people and a lot of my friends have taken a lot of advantage from that because then you know this forever of your life that Perfect. if you think that you're the smartest person, then anyways, you're going downhill. Yeah, Most I- of the great things happen
0: like when you get even smarter people along with you, when you build companies and so on. And I think it is same in sports also. So, so you are a sport enthusiast. I, the way in which you were mentioning about playing tennis, the better players you play with, the better you become. Correct. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. That's the only way to do it. Like that's the only way to do it to get out of your comfort zone, and keep challenging yourself. So, very fascinating. I think that time you basically told your dad, "Hey, I don't want to be a civil servant." <laughs> right? yeah and but i have a similar story my dad was like when i was growing up the only thing he trained me to be the civil servant when i said it like my dad was very very upset oh <laughs> <laughs> was, i think it's a I, I say it at least it's the north father syndrome right like everyone like raised up their kids to become nice officers so i i basically had the same thing
0: i think you graduated around 12 right
1: yes yes we have
0: we have 10 12 years of difference yeah yeah but, <laughs> but the fascination of of civil service hasn't gone down.
1: <laughs> uh, no, no, it hasn't at all. Like I, I'm sure, like my dad to some extent still feels
0: disappointed to we he even today. Um today. And, and same thing with me. So when I like select, got selected into IIT, the sentence which my father said is, "Okay, IIT, we to civil service, but come okay, your to IIT." Ja <laughs> it's okay (laughs) it's not great but it's okay (laughs) you do what you want to do
1: (laughs) correct 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 correct. no no absolutely same exactly the same thing it's it's so nice that like everyone goes through the same thing like we think we have unique struggles but you go and speak to people outside like all of us are going through the same thing and now i think a good segue is both around like i think you did not start up right after right like you did not start up right after Also, I think the time when you, I think, graduated would be close to that 99 boom when internet was just coming. Um, All of that was happening. Then the burst happened. Um, I'm sure like some bit of that phase would have also influenced like what you do and what you don't do. And then you eventually started up like 2010s. Tell us about your those 10-12 years. Like how, what exactly happened and eventually also take us to the founding story of No Broker.
0: Like how did the idea emerge in how did you end up doing this versus something else? Sure. Uh, so I think, so I joined Cognizant, which was a, as a programmer, which was what you do, what you used to do at 2000. Uh, and, but then I quickly figured it out that uh, basically it's doing something with business would make more sense because then again, it is uh, uh, you are cog in the wheel.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: also because CAT is difficult and so on and so forth. So I gave CAT, then I I was lucky to get selected into IIM Ahmedabad then two years went there which basically gave more uh, uh, more solid background in terms of at least appreciation towards business and complexities and marketing and different facets and then I then everybody basically chases either investment banking or management consulting so then I went to management consulting in management consulting there are only two flowchart. one is that you basically be there for 2-3 years and then you shift because it's very difficult to handle this flying Monday morning because when you fly Monday morning, you get up at 3.30 am <laughs> because finally the flight would be at 5 or 6 and then you need to travel and get ready for the early check-in. It will always uh, crowded early morning and when you're returning, somehow the Friday night flight always get delayed. The last light never leaves on time <laughs> So then you reach your home at uh, again in the post midnight. So generally people basically after a couple of years they give up because it is very taxing. And when you reach at the cust- at the customer' side, many of them are pretty hostile, especially the junior guys thinking Hamari they claim a time with anger types <laughs> And but I somehow really love that challenge. Uh, so I spent around 10 years uh, in management consulting. And then uh, around 2012, uh, I joined ANZ Bank, Australian New Zealand Bank, uh, as the head of strategy. It was extremely comfortable job, a fund bank with a fountain, in the reception, not much work to do. <laughs> 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 After you have been in consulting uh, in a pressure, some situation, then it just seems like a breeze, as if you are sitting idle the whole day. And bank strategy is <laughs> going to in a couple of weeks. So uh, uh, I think, so the trigger was basically, so I started uh, along with my co-founders, we started No Broker in 2014, so it has been eight years. And the emotional trigger was that it was too comfortable, ANZ Bank was too comfortable. Uh, and I basically felt that if I continue doing this, I would, salary was good, job job was easy, and I felt that I will just keep on shifting from a one foreign bank to another foreign bank. And that's how life is going to be. You just wear good clothes, good tie, cuffling, and then you from you just move your salary level. And I felt this is a time to take risk. Uh, it was difficult to take risk. My wife is basically my batchmate from IIT Kanpur, mm. uh, and so she we we were expecting a kid. Uh, so that was a very bad time. She wanted to take a break. And uh, I wanted to do a startup because I felt that if I don't do it now, I will never be able to do it. I was anyway in my mid thirties. Uh, so she, <laughs> she, she didn't, she was not able to take much of a break. I realized that uh, there is, and I, my interaction with brokers was not that great. Uh, so we felt that why is it that a broker is, why is it that we are pay- paying such a high amount of brokerage when uh, you, when in this internet world, you can connect with anybody, uh, so, so we started No Broker, that was the, uh, the germination of the idea.
1: Very interesting. And, and you are always, your three founders, right? Yeah. And tell us about like, how did some of this came about? Like, were they also in the similar journey? How did this both around, how did the founders come together? And also like, why this particular idea? Like, and the reason I'm pushing, it's not that you've been doing real estate like for a very long time. So it's a natural transition for you to do, right? Correct. To some extent, you could have done anything. Like yeah. why so much love for this particular space?
0: Correct. So, uh, so both my co-founders, so one of my co-founders, Saurabh is basically my batchmate from Ahmedabad. Same dorm, same floor. So just two rooms apart. So we knew each other for 10-15 years. And uh, another co-founder, Akhil is basically junior from IIT. So all three of us knew each other for many, many years. Uh, That was the affinity and each one of us had pretty bad experience with brokers. Uh, I'll give you a small story. So I was living in Bombay and I wanted to change the house and I couldn't find a house which is empty. So I asked security guard, I asked people around, I couldn't find house which is empty. Then I crossed the road, went to a broker, asked him the same question. And he got me a house just two floors above where I was staying. And charged me one month of brokerage. For that, 50,000 rupees. <laughs> like, hey, God, I was like, I figure out where I can get a And uh, 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 I basically, when, when many of these uh, sites came for platform which you would remember in 2014-15 we were very enthused that as a customer now the life is going to be better for us but when we went to those sites still on the other side there was a broker so while the site was fancy it was algorithm and technology and a lot of jazz i'm assuming you are referring to housing yeah yeah yeah. so <laughs> housing common floor many of the sites were there with amazing founders uh, doing mm. uh, running running the company and with amazing algo, with, for the first time, I remember from 1415 that Google map was being used in real estate. Uh, earlier, Google map was not being used, but still from an economic point of view, when we tried to search a house, all three of us independently, I think, happened to do it. Then we still had to deal with a broker because the owners were not posting the property. And even if they were, they were being uh, overshadowed by the broker. So I think from the personal experience, we were just puzzled as to why, why are we not able to save money? and why isn't there is a owner to seeker connection uh, platform
1: understood and by the way, like now when you say it seems logical right like it's, it's owners should come and do it themselves brokers take so much fee in between and as you rightly said there's like lots of companies who raised a lot of money in that i think 12 to 15 period common flow housing lots of others even before that have existed but no one could even reach very close to the kind of scale you've reached now, right? I'm sure this must be something that most people don't understand which is under the hood that you saw that no one else could. What, what is very different in the approach that No Broker took that was very different than some of the other guys? Like wh- where is the secret sauce here?
0: So the secret sauce is the painful slow process. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, see the thing is that suppose if you want to open a uh, a real estate platform, you can hire five, six good engineers uh, who are going to make a platform. Uh, then you can hire a couple of people who are digital marketers and they can get you seekers because tenants and buyers are younger in age and more digital friendly. And then you open it free for brokers. Brokers will start put posting the properties and the site will start working. So this is the recipe for starting a PropTech real estate. Now, after a few days, once this website start working, you focus on digital marketing, focus on interactions. Then you can ask a couple of brokers to start paying so that their properties come on the top. And you will ignore if they are posting jazzy photos and untrue photos and untrue prices. Because who cares if after clicking where the user goes to them directly or whatever happens, you don't care about it. But the site is running and you can start monetizing because brokers are paying and then few months later you can ask some builders to post and you can charge them. So that's how real estate uh, worked uh, before no broker started and even when no broker was there. What we said is that we are going to change only one thing that instead of broker the owner would be there but the moment you change this the entire equation becomes extremely difficult because owners are aged and they don't come online which basically means that if Vidit is looking for a for a flat in Adarsh today, for a price that he's ready to pay, pay today, if no broker does not have a corresponding owner with the same BHK, with the same price today, the matchmaking doesn't happen. And as a customer, you don't care whether I'm IT, I am from IT, or how many funding I have raised, you don't care. You will say, be because you came to that particular thing and you did not take. So it's a very, and why will the owners come, two owners will come, they will check whether they are getting enough tenants or buyers. If their experience is good, they will tell some other gentleman, then that guy will come. Which is a very, very slow process. But the great thing is that once the process is built, then it is outstanding. So for example, it took us 8 years to reach 2 crore customer mark uh, cumulative. But now we are adding 0.75 crore new customers per year. Mm -hmm. Not because we are smart, or we have done something special, but because it does take that much of time to build that owner and buyer trust because we are not a daily or monthly usage product anyway uh, and i have seen misho's journey also also and for the audience who many of you who don't know about misho misho basically comes from Mary shop and i uh-huh. think <laughs> and so so i have also been following your numbers are anyway because uh, misho has become so big and you you handle the entire country i think i heard transacting customers like 100 million 10 crore with uh, some 2025 25 lakh uh, uh, retailers, so huge numbers. Uh, for us, the journey has been pretty slow, but with huge exponential growth once those years have passed. And I think there's a big
1: lesson there. Like most people forget it. Most people just see some of these successes happening overnight and they think that a lot of these businesses are built like very, very quickly. But the most resilient defensible businesses are built very slowly right like you need to get to a critical mass which you did by persisting which where most people did not because they were in a hurry to build a large business you had the perseverance to kind of do it for eight years get the flywheel kick started and once the network exists after that as you said like the velocity is so high that no one can ever catch up to this and almost all the best businesses globally that we have seen have continued to compound their value have had this Something just staying, staying true to what you want to do and what you want to believe, even though everyone else around you does not believe in it. it, is a very hard thing to do. I'm assuming, like, because I'm sure, like, we used to meet investors and other people and say, "See what happened to housing? See what happened to common floor?" and they'll judge you. It'll be hard for you to raise money, to hire people, to, and to continue believing in this when there's so much of, what do you say, common wisdom that is throwing around also tell like how did you manage all of this like how are how are you so how is so confident that this is the right approach to
0: take even though there will be a lot of naysayers around me so actually given the knowledge that i have today if you put me back 8 years i will freeze <laughs> because i think at that point of time my understanding of what 100 million dollar is which housing is getting was limited. <laughs> and hence we he said, So first of all, that some bit of ignorance was also there. Uh, naivety was also there, which is always there when you when you start afresh. And as you rightly said, so we basically went to every investor in the in the town. First of all, and their question was show sure us a Uber or Amazon equivalent of that. Where is it? In the US, in China, where is it? Our answer was, no, it is not there. So, Uh, there is, hey, come on, if this is such a good idea, nobody in the world has figured out. You are special. How can we believe there must be something wrong in your approach? Why it has not worked out? And we said, say, hey, there, law and order is more strict. Uh, People have to give an examination to become a real estate agent. Accountability is higher. Paperwork is there. Cash collection and non-paying of taxes is not there like India. That's why perhaps the difference is, but... Doing something original and from first principle is extremely difficult. And I basically give a lot of this example of Misho to many of my teammates. The thought that Misho has that price has a higher priority or convenience is such a diversion from a common startup prevailing knowledge that this single line inside is mind boggling. Uh, and it takes some time to really adjust to it and digest it that uh, such a powerful insight, that you just, the way in which Misho has been crazy about pursuing only one thing uh, and then being crazy about it and then making a huge franchise out of it. I think in similar first principle way, we basically said that we are not going to work with broker. We are going to save brokerage and we are going to be crazy about it. Will it work? Nobody knows. But at least we will be happy if we, the way in which we fail, because we are comfortable with this. We believe that people should not pay brokerage, and we don't know whether this will work, but we just chase that. And kudos uh,
1: to you and the team. I think being so contrarian for such a long time is a very tough thing to do. And because you were, like, we have this product which has scaled so much. So really kudos to the team.
0: No, no, sure. And in the first, so earlier we did not get any funding from Indian investors because housing got a great amount of funding and with amazing founder at the helm. And then one, once, because of some internal reasons, housing imploded, then also nobody wanted to touch us because in, it will not be approved in any IC meeting. <laughs> Everybody had burned their uh, fingers uh, in India. So for the next five years, apart from elevation, no one ever funded us. No Indian investor funded us. And we had to basically get 1 million from some South Korean investor, the 1 million from a Japanese HNI or from some Singapore guy. And we just survived for the first uh, few years. Did you plan your startup while you were working in your last job
1: or did you take a break and then figure out what to do like some people i'm sure there are many like people who are potential entrepreneurs want to kind of know like if they are thinking about it should they do this this, this decision while working or like leaving after that
0: so i have had both the experience i started my first company in around 2008 9 which was which had something to do with the uh, gated communities and advertisement uh, connecting brands with gated communities, something which now no brokerhood does. Uh, and I was working in, in, in management consulting and it started well. But the moment a project came calling and the stress increased, then my focus on this business, which I started with one of my friends, basically doing uh-huh. that. So when in 2014, when I decided that I want to make give it one more try, then because I had a personal bad, bad experience, so I quit the job. Makes sense. I, But I am not sure what the right answer is because once you quit the job, then the financial pressure becomes high, especially if you are laden with house EMI's, etc, etc. Because first is your savings should support your living expenses, your EMI. And plus, uh, as you know, that marketing expenses, running the business expenses also are huge. And then you and every flight that you need to take to Bombay to meet a VC also pinches because we used to meet (laughs) analysts. Uh, so perhaps the answer I'm not sure where the answer lies at least financially you should be okay it is okay to work in the weekends build some prototype and then leave the job
1: Uh, yeah no makes sense makes sense one other question is like some stories from your early days like give us some very the challenges in the early days are like very crazy unique right everything is cold start like how do you get your first engineer how do you get your first employee how do you get your first customer how do you get to PMF these are like very non-linear journeys and that's why like the best stories i have from nisha journey like all five six years ago um give us like one two or three of them like any of this that you remember like very vividly
0: sure so uh uh so in the starting the one story that in the starting uh when i left the job of course uh people will call you and they will congratulate you hey how brave you are and wish that they had also the courage to leave the job but once you have, once that phase passes, then you then you are just alone sitting at home in front of your computer and looking at five customers who have come on the platform and wondering that had you gone to office today, you would have earned so much money for today's. Uh, so the initial time is basically always tough. We did not have enough money to have an office or hire employees who are expensive. So the jugad which I found was that there was a uh, site called babajobs.com mm, I remember. and we found I, I basically when i was surfing the site i found that there are many smart women young women who have worked in companies like ibm etc in metros but they have left those jobs got married into tier two towns mm. uh, and are now living there have kid and are they are smart and they have time in the first half of the day when their kid goes to school and the husband goes to school. So I basically used to contact them and train them online, <laughs> even at that point of time when there was no work from home. And those women used to work from home, and I used to basically pay their salary from my savings account. So that jugal basically I did for the for the first six months to one year, uh, uh, and they were very smart. They basically ensured that we we got that initial push. Uh, <clears throat> Customers basically, I think the great thing about especially a city like Bangalore is a lot of forgiving customers, a lot of initial adopters. So I'm not sure from where do they come and and how and why are they so forgiving. But I remember lots of customers of Bangalore trying the platform, trying the site and giving basically responses. So I remember the story that a customer would basically call. I would pick up the phone and customer would say there's some bug. And I will say, "Ha sir, main, I'll just call, uh, uh, I will just I will just talk to my tech team and then we will get back to you. <laughs> and then we will call the customers back. Those point of time, we used to write long emails to customers. They used to respond long. I think it's amazing. Laveen with Jeff Bezos says that your unsatisfied customers are a great source of learning. And a free source of learning to some extent. So that way, I think in those years, I, I'm sure with it, your experience has also been similar. Uh, customers basically teach you a lot as long as you are listening to them. I'm correct, correct,
1: absolutely. Now, I think I'll come back to No Broker again, but I want to pick some of the other pieces around, um, which is first like you, right? Like now you've run this business for quite a long time. What it was then, how it has matured, lots of things have changed. Like, tell us about yourself. Like, how have, what motivates you? Like now, like at this stage, you achieved a lot already, like sometimes it just feels like what is the next stop, what motivates you now, what inspires you now, like what are you looking forward to, and same thing holds for your team as well, like what, what is basically your own way of going through this journey?
0: So, overall India, Roti Kapda makan is anyway pretty large and... uh, me, you and Harsha, we joke, right, that Roti Kapra makan we are covering <laughs> and because the market is so large, uh, even today, we are only present in six cities, we are not into 50 cities, because it takes time to basically grow and build. Uh, so in terms of the market share also, we might be the largest uh, in terms of online real estate, but in terms of every property which comes in the market online plus offline, we will be still 90% of the market will st- is still out there to be taken. So the two things which basically motivate me on a daily basis, one is of course, this pursuit of, of of, becoming bigger, of better numbers. So every month when the numbers move, it gives a kick to basically and thankfully live in a country which is full of problems and which is full of people and uh, and hence opportunity. Second thing, which I would have never guessed eight years back is what motivates is coming to office and meeting such a high level of intellect intellect and passionate people. So, so I think whenever I'm in an office and I see two of the colleagues arguing with each other passionately about some customer, <laughs> some customer, <laughs> it just fills you with so much of pride. Uh, and I have no role in that discussion and they are not doing it to basically show it to me. They are doing it for the betterment of customer. And I must admit, uh, frankly, that Now it is reverse motivation. I think the way in which my colleagues motivate me with their passion towards customer is what basically puts a spring uh, in my feet nowadays. Uh, So people say that I'm motivating them, but the truth is actually they are motivating me with their passion because each of them is given a small, small problem and they are just crazily pursuing that problem. And it is such a fun to watch. How has been your experience with it?
1: You know, I, I basically is the same thing. I think what motivates me is, as you said, the potential that India has, whatever we have done, only 5% of overall retail has still moved online, right? And you look at channel like 45%, you look at West, it's like 25%. So first, like whatever we have done, just such a small part, it makes you feel small and that's what keeps you excited. And second is the team and the passion and like why we do what we do every single time I get a single customer email, them thanking us that how did the life change because of the platform a seller saying I bought my first car or got my daughter married because of the income that we made on the platform I think all of that inspires me every single day and makes me do a lot more so very very similar right like the culture the mission statement eventually that's what matters and that what keeps you going it can never be money and material stuff that most people think
0: about no, no, true true I think uh, money basically I would not have said that money doesn't matter eight years back. It would have been uh-huh. crazy, but you realize later later that no, <laughs> what matters is day to day,
1: how you are feeling and what's Absolutely. going on. Absolutely. I think the marginal utility of money is generally quite low after some time, right? Like, like you need to get enough freedom that you can do what you want to do. And after you reach that, like money doesn't hold as much value. It doesn't give you like happiness beyond. And I think that's a lesson for all entrepreneurs. You cannot go through this journey only for money because then it's super tough and you will get demotivated very soon. Also, it may work for the first two, three years. But after that, you'll say, why am I doing what I'm doing?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) And now I want to go like you kind of hinted on a point which I wanted to kind of spend a lot of time on is you said like culture, like when you go and see two people in the team passionately discussing a customer that makes you feel good, right? A lot of this comes from the company culture right and i also by the way believe that the company culture comes from the personalities of the founders i know you well you're a very humble nice kind person very passionate about what you're doing and when i meet you i can personify in my head like what the culture company would be like if i meet a typical uh, no broker person i know like how they will behave because i know you right tell us about like what is that culture like what is the culture of no broker how did you arrive there give us some stories, like interesting stories for other people who are on the call, building companies, how they can learn from it. So they build this high performance and like mission
0: oriented culture, anything. No, no, sure. So I'll start uh, with the story. And let me, uh, because I also want to admit that it is not, that the No Broker culture today, I had this idea eight years back. So I also basically learned it uh, ground up. So in fact, when I started No Broker along with my co-founders, my thought was that see I need to look at I was focusing on sales and operations and I was like hai, I need to have some call center guys who will handle the phone call and that's fine and I'll hire some team leaders some people from this BPO KPO background and I will run it in my mind I was 100% sure that I would never need another say an IITN ever that I, because I am going to guide everybody so I was convinced that I would never hire an IITian or a, I ever hired an engineer or a senior person because I would be able to do it all on my own. Uh, and then I basically happened to have a guy, a smart guy with good pedigree, coming to No Broker office on some common friend or something and I asked him, do you want to join No Broker? He said yes. Uh, and he joined and he was very smart and suddenly I, I felt that now there are two Amits. Because he would just think about the logical flow chart. this problem, so here, do it. And then I discovered one thing about myself that I'm okay with mistakes. So I, you also discover, right, that whether you are a micromanager by nature or you're not. So I used to hate in job when people used to micromanage me. So if my boss is micromanaging me, I would keep on looking at watch. When And if not, New city mein, Then I'm okay working till midnight because I'm doing it for myself. So, I figured it out that I'm okay with people doing mistakes, as long as it doesn't cost the house. And over the years, what I discovered was that I need to basically get those people who want to build more businesses. So, the way in which I have observed Misho also, the way in which Misho has done pivots to make sure that they reach Bharat more efficiently and in a large scalable way. The way in which we discovered no broker was that you start with real estate journey. And then you look at the entire chain and you look at rent payment, you look at painting, you look at cleaning, you look at furniture rental, home loans, packers and movers. Then you look at the entire chain and serve customers there. So so our journey has been to basically make it wider. Once you get hold of a customer and make it wider. And hence, now what has happened is that we have entrepreneurs within No broker who handle these teams and they do it fully independently so i don't do much work so for example today i have one more meeting in the first half then there's nothing in the second half (laughs) it's all left towards serendipity that i will just go around meet some people meet a customer that's it uh but so the investor the relationship between me and the top next 20 guys is of an investor and entrepreneur we give them business uh we give them responsibility they deliver if they deliver we give them more funding in terms of more marketing bandwidth, more resources, more tech bandwidth. If they don't, then they stagnate there and they try harder and so on and so forth.
1: No, no, that's very interesting. And I I, I believe like this whole culture of giving a lot more freedom and then responsibility to people is something that we have seen have been part of all organizations that have moved fast, right? Like micromanagement can still work to some extent when the company's small. But once you cross a particular number of employees, just no chance you can do it. Like unless you hire very motivated individuals and like decentralize all decision making to them, I believe only then you can continue to grow at a fast pace, even at a large scale. So it totally makes sense. Also, I think, again, I love this topic of culture, building. that's why I like to spend a lot more time, because I, I know that I will kind of take a lot of things to learn and implement back at Misho. Tell us like some Very interesting, quirky, new rituals that you have instituted at No Broker that makes this culture get reinforced every day, every week, every month. Like what
0: are those rituals about anything? Like two, three very interesting ones. So one is that, so I'll, I'll give two examples, two stories. One is that if you want to genuinely make a meritocratic culture, then as a leader, we should be okay with people questioning us uh, asking us with tough questions blunt questions insulting questions mm. personal questions without any fear of uh, of throwback so so basically so what we basically do is that we have this town hall in which uh, we talk to the team uh, and i need to answer all the questions and the questions are anonymous so nobody can know who has asked the question it's easy to say but once you give this freedom anybody can say anything on this, uh, on that. And you are supposed to answer it. And as leaders, we have learned that it is best to be most transparent because anyway, they'll figure it out. <laughs> you are one and they are hundreds. So anyway, the people around you are observing you much, much more intently than what you can imagine. They know your mood, they know your body language. Uh, uh, so this culture of basically allowing anybody to say anything to the founder CEO. I think has subconsciously helped in building this entrepreneurship culture and freedom. And then basically we have, we have many those one-liners, for example, uh, always be an owner, never a tenant, which basically means have ownership mentality. Yeah. Or nicety honesty first, nicety later. Because people across cross-function, they try to be nice, and so on and so forth. Uh so and the real test doesn't come in terms of of giving mission, vision, values. But uh, for example, in Misho, I remember uh, many things like uh, uh, user first. And I see you talking about uh, 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 problem first mindset and a very, very owner type culture. So act like an owner is something which is also in the, uh, the Misho philosophy. So similar thing with us. Uh, but I would, the way in which you must have uh, observed with it is that one is to say these things. But then in small, small things, the way in which we act, that is the real difference. And small act basically decides whether you want to do pursue that culture or not. Uh, so I think those small acts we do. And the second thing is that in order to make sure that you have a customer first mentality. So I have seen lots of your social media, uh, media posts about how you have met with the partners, with the customers. And the similar way what we have done is we have made mandatory mandatory for the top mm-hmm. people to meet one customer physically every week. Oh wow. That's and, very interesting. And it irrespective of the team, like every team? Every team. So it might be basic and it is mind-boggling. So earlier, what I what we used to do is we used to say you have to talk to a customer first. But but once you talk to a customer, that's separate. Once you physically meet and you can choose a customer living close to the office, close to your home. That's fine. You can choose uh-huh. on Monday or on a Sunday. That's fine. But once you meet a customer face to face, the the impact is extraordinary. It's completely different. And then we share, we, all of us, we share our uh, our learnings. And the way in which a product guy takes the learnings is, is very different from the way in which a business guy takes. Customer is saying the same five sentences but a product guy thinks okay, I'm going to make this change in this button here and business guy is thinking hey, I can cross sell him more or I can do this more. Uh, So, I think our journey has been very similar to to Misho's and our culture is also uh, resonates a lot with what we are also basically trying to do along with Misho.
1: Very, very interesting. Very interesting and again, I can see some of the similar themes that we care about as well and I feel like that's That's a common theme. I I believe you cannot build a large business unless you are very focused on customers. And by the way, now we have reached a point where most people believe it to be true, but what also happens in the first few years, because a lot of the insights are new, people do it proactively. As the company ages, they think, now I know. I've spoken to a customer like 50 times. I know. Exactly. I don't need to go on the ground and speak to them Uh because I know what they will say. And the day you have this, by the way, then you are basically reached the top of where you will be. And after it only downhill because it's... That, that complacency that I know everything is the time when you know nothing will improve
0: anymore. So you are absolutely same thing happened, happens with us also. Uh-huh. This is what I do every day. So I know what customers think. But it's not. Customers are continuously changing. They are becoming more demanding and you will slip. <laughs> absolutely. No, I've
1: seen the same thing again and again. So we have one interesting question. I think the question is if you reflect back on your no broker journey so far like what are the What are the few things that went very well and few things that now, when you look back, you would do differently. What did you learn from them? Some of these lessons could be very interesting for all the other viewers on the call today.
0: So I think in terms of getting the value proposition, uh, and starting with the revenue model pretty soon, because we were scared that many people in real estate have not been able to make money. So, in the past, real estate platforms have been large in terms of customer. But revenue has been lacking. So, we were very, very paranoid that we need to quickly make uh, revenue. And today, we are at a $100 million revenue. Uh, so, so, I'm comfortable that uh, we have from the then we So, I think that broadly has been, uh, we have gotten it right. I think the one thing which I would change if I go back, is that I was a first-generation entrepreneur and hence mistakes are bound to happen that I because I came from a bootstrapping mindset in my mind I felt that HR and finance should be hired once you have a full-time job so once there's a <laughs> guy who can who, whose entire day can be filled because of the HR activity now HR finance I think that's a very very common mistake which the founders do especially first generation and now we have amazing people so we have got a, in hr we have ashish in finance and they are they are amazing and i am basically awed at their expertise and realize that you need an expert to basically these functions are expertise functions these functions are not side functions. you need experts to come faster so that then look at their internal processes faster and can help the company be better from ground up from from day zero Otherwise, you lose a lot of ground. How has been your experience?
1: So by the way, like very similar, this particular learning is a learning I've had as well. And I give the same example also, but let me give you a couple of other examples too. But the first thing is like HR. Like I was so late to invest in HR. By the way, like we hired a first like proper HR trained person. when the company, I think after three, four years of starting, because I used to think, hey, people will do hiring themselves. People will do things themselves. Like, why do we need to do? And at that one time, we had a very conservative mindset in spending, like you will think about every rupee that you spend and say, Hey, if we can figure out a way to work without this, it's still fine. And I think we were too late in solving some of this. And then I started to see some of these big issues, like culture was impacted, right? Um, performance management was not fair, like a lot of these things start to happen. And then you realize you are you're wasting companies' time in doing these things from first principle where there are existing experts outside like why are you wasting everyone's time in doing this, but we didn't do it. So I think it's a big lesson. Same thing holds for other things like we were, we were late in investing behind a lot of capabilities within the company, because we just saying we will do it when we really need to do it. And that sometimes delayed our scale up beat marketing Whether like the first two, three years we used to hear all the podcast of people or read books. they okay, don't do marketing. So for a very long time, we didn't spend a single rupee in marketing. We will grow without marketing, and we realized we got to PMF very quickly. But our journey from there to like scaling up like took a long more time because we were too conservative. Okay? We will not spend anything on marketing, and we will try to get everything organically. So I feel like some of these, as you said, first generation entrepreneur, like we are, we start with being very conservative. Like spend every, like save every rupee you can. So you, it's like. Pennywise pound-foolish, right? So you keep, you forget the long-term picture and then you're optimizing for today and the company gets hurt.
0: Correct.
1: I've had the same learning exactly like you.
0: (laughs) Hope that people listening to us, they will not repeat the same mistake. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
1: I have like, I I have a lot of questions, but we have 10 minutes. I want to make sure that we cover some of the more important ones. One about no broker, one personal. So the first question is, you have achieved a lot so far. Now tell us like what next for no broker? Like first first of all, top two, three trends, you are the expert in this field, no one else. What are you seeing? And second, like what are your big plans for no broker from here on? Like what are the big bang things that will happen in the next five years?
0: Sure, so in terms of the real estate trend, See, just because I am from real estate, I shouldn't, there's no reason why I should talk only good about real estate. <laughs> in terms of personal investment, I am a very big fan of equity. <laughs> so, I would basically say that if you want to invest for gains, then it makes sense to invest in residential properties only in, in perhaps smaller towns or areas which are not so well-habitated, where you feel the demand will come later. Otherwise, typically the real estate returns would be in small single digits per year and you should buy it only for the emotional satisfaction that you get in living in your house. Otherwise, commercial real estate is amazing. It gives you 10% returns plus capital appreciation. In terms of the trends, uh, the search has moved online. So the customers, be it buyer, be it tenant, they have moved online. Over the next 5 to 10 years, uh, owners will also basically move much, much more online and hopefully we will benefit from it. In terms, the last 10 years has not been great for residential real estate returns. They have been okay. Our hope is that the next 10 years would be better, much, much better, especially because in the past two years, we have seen tremendous growth in real estate prices. Uh, villas of 5-5 five, five crore have been sold like hot, hot potatoes <laughs> in, the, uh, in the past two years. And each one of us is aware about the tough time that tenants have faced in the past six months this year in getting good accommodation. Uh, uh, so next 10 years seem to be to, to be pretty positive from an overall real estate uh, perspective. Uh, in terms of where we are and where we want to go, I think what we've realized is that Solving all the problems of customer is much more important than solving one problem. What we realize is that you can't, you have to, you can, it is also good for business, also good for customer, that you hold his hand across all categories which are there in the real estate journey. But it also basically puts you under lot of uh, privilege that if you do bad in any of these jobs, then your brand image is going to get hurt. So the complexity increases also multifold. But the opportunity also increases multiple and this is what basically we do every day. So the hope over the next five years to not only make no broker very large, but also make it a one-stop shop for all the real estate journey needs. It's a
1: very inspiring goal. As you said, it's very tough as well because as you add more and more services, like the risk to the brand only goes up because you have to now achieve the same excellence that you achieved in your current product on everything, execution wise, super tough, but if you can really make it happen, I don't think there will be many defensible businesses as much as yours. So best of luck to you on that. Now a personal question, personal question is, and again, this is a question that I personally want to ask you, right? Like for me, I ask this to a lot of people I meet, tell me like, how do you make sure that you're becoming a better CEO every day? Like what do you do? to keep making yourself a 10x version of what you were yesterday, how how do you improve yourself? Is it about reading something, is it about mentors and please give us some specific suggestions so I can
0: take it and I'm sure other people can also. So the two, three things which I basically do is one is seek feedback very actively. Because I feel that once you are running a decently successful startup, people don't give you feedback unless you actively ask for it and you encourage. For it, especially negative feedback. Somehow this culture, somehow you are being put on a pedestal which you don't deserve to be there. And even your things which you are bad at, people think that this is how it should be and perhaps there is some trick in being bad at it also. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think the objective is to be to ask for feedback very regularly and take feedback uh, extremely positively
1: and also but how as you said like even if you ask maybe people be nice to you and not tell you what is
0: like wh- what do you do so that they really give you feedback which will genuinely help so one is that because this culture of town hall anonymous question is there so there is some comfort among people that yes uh, i mean what i am saying but it doesn't happen in one iteration with a person it takes few iterations for everybody to open up and then start giving you negative feedback. So which I basically actively do. So the people who have been with me for No bro for many years, they actively give me negative feedback. But the ones who are newer, it takes them some time to give this improvement feedback. So one is to actively ask for it. And then second is to basically learn from as much as you can from others. So I am a voracious reader. I love reading autobiographies and biographies of businessmen, be it players. Uh, 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 sportsmen across across uh, the genre. Third is that I feel that watching videos of entrepreneurs mm. is something which entrepreneurs don't do enough. <laughs> so I have seen a lot of videos of all the good founders in India, and extreme amount of learning is there. And uh, and I feel that this is something which so if you act, this is something which is very value adding because everybody has been through a tough journey. And there is so much to learn from them. So why should I commit that mistake to learn? And fourth, I would say that apart from business also, a general approach of trying to be better. So for example, if I play badminton, I don't just play with my friends. I also take a coach so that I can become a better badminton. For what? No reason. (laughs) But just to become better, better than what we were one year back. uh, I think mix of those things. No, no.
1: Fascinating. Fascinating. I think I I would also love to get three four recommendations of books, sure, <laughs> uh, that you mentioned, be biographies
0: or others that have helped you the most. So I think the there are lots of books which are about uh, investors over uh, about founders overseas, but the book which I found most fascinating is about an Indian entrepreneur, is about Dilip Sangvi and the book is basically called the the Reluctant Billionaire. Oh, nice. Uh, it's an amazing book, very well written, and it is so great to see a guy who was just a who was not rich, whose father was a chemist, and who had a commerce background, so did not have a science background, nothing to do with pharma, in an era when anyway large pharma companies were dominating the entire country, did not have enough money to put a manufacturing plant also. From there, yes. how did he make one of the world's largest pharma company? Is really mind-boggling fascinating i'm I'm gonna order it today only <laughs> thank you so much for this
1: you're very honest very candid about everything and i think that's what we need more and more entrepreneurs to come and share it so honestly with other people so people don't beat the same mistakes and keep
0: doing better thanks a lot with thank you for giving so much time and <laughs> great it was good fun i hope the audience basically got to learn from the mistakes that we have done in the past uh, <laughs> great Thank you so much. Fascinating.
1: And and now I'll ping you to coordinate a badminton match in January. Yes, yes. After yes. my is fine. Done. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.